Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. I hope that you're well. Um, Apologies that this episode is a little bit late. There's a few reasons why I didn't release an episode last week. Um, One being that my, um, as first world as this sounds, my Wi-Fi had gone. So I couldn't actually record and save and publish it. Um, So that's one excuse out the window. Um, That's not the phrase. One excuse out the window, out the gate. It wasn't working, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and um, one other reason that I'll go into later on in the episode as well, which is why I wanted to wait um, so I could talk about it today when a couple of things have been sorted out. Um, so, obviously, lots of things have been going on in the last couple of weeks. Um, new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Um, was it just me or was her opening speech slightly like a first draft speech you'd expect from a student doing a speaking listening presentation. Um, So of all the priorities she could possibly have said or what she wants to focus on, it was roads and Wi-Fi or broadband, however she phrased it. Um, Lovely, you know, making sure that people have good internet or whatever. Um, But a few other things that maybe could be a priority such as, oh, I don't know, um, women getting killed on the street still by men in broad daylight, or LGBT rights, or racism, or I don't know. As much as it would be nice to have super fast broadband everywhere that we go, um, there are a number of families that I think would rather maybe be able to put on a radiator and not worry it's going to cost them £6,000 or that they can perhaps live and eat over the next couple of months um, rather than have a new router in the corner of their room. But anyway, um, and then obviously the passing of, of Queen Elizabeth II, um, it was really odd at the time. I I'd read the story in the day of that the family were encouraged to be going up to Balmoral and I didn't really think that was a particularly good sign. Um, But then I didn't think everything would happen so quickly afterwards and I picked up my phone and the headline came through and it was really surreal. I read it and then kind of put my phone down. I went to do something else and then about a minute later I kind of clocked it and and just thought, what like oh and I went and reread it again as if I didn't quite take it in the first time very surreal um and you know obviously I've been following it on the news and the 24-hour queues and everything and um the reactions to you know Harry and William being together again and Megan being on the scene and I felt sorry for Charles more than anything else you know there's just no time for him to mourn it's straight into job and into role and traveling and meeting people and do like looking the part and um for you know for want of a better word it is interesting it's a fascinating period of history you know the majority of people uh you know will never have experienced um the coronation of, of a new king or queen um a state funeral for a king or queen um and it is Again, for want of a better word, fascinating to see just the precision of everything and the speed of everything and how well everything is organised and put together and um, really like the, the, the kind of the beauty of it all in terms of the dress and the code. And um, so it is an interesting period of history, um, but sad at the same time. 
but uh, you know, it's obviously inevitable. But just yeah, very surreal. Like I said before, very very strange. Um, I the one of the main reason then I put the episode back is because I have been waiting to see how something that I recorded a few weeks ago was rectified. Um, so in the episode last time, about two weeks ago now, I mentioned that I had been recorded an episode of the Unqualified podcast with Anna Faris, the Hollywood actress Anna Faris, which was, you know, really exciting, fantastic opportunity. Um, and I was waiting for the episode to come out. And then, as I'll explain um, over the course of this episode, for something to change essentially in it. So um, the podcast itself, if you've not come across Unqualified with Anna Faris, is she talks to a celebrity guest every week and there have been some like big hitters on there. Matthew McConaughey's been on there, Christina Ricci was on just before summer. She's had politicians, comedians, writers, just loads of different people on there, really interesting, fascinating people. And they talk about all sorts of things, relationships, love affairs, work, interest, family, all sorts of things. And then um, a caller comes on and they talk about a problem or an issue. And then together, Anna Farris and whoever the guest is, and sometimes there is um, a kind of specialist counsellor comes on. They talk about the issue and give advice. Um, so I um, submitted a, um, a suggestion to talk about, which I would talk about my history of eating disorders and obsessive behaviours and obsessive exercises and I was invited onto the podcast. So I had a preliminary interview with the producer in late July and I was due to be on the podcast early August. Um, that didn't happen. I was logged in on Zoom for it all to take place but there were various issues and my segment got bumped and had to be re-recorded at a later date. So I was meant to be on with Cal Penn um, an actor and he'd worked in the Obama administration as well but my segment got bumped and I had to go back a couple of weeks later so um, I was on towards the end of August and the guest this time was an actor called Michael Rappaport who um, if you don't know the name you will recognise his face he was in an episode of Friends um, when he was Phoebe's boyfriend he was a cop who woke up one morning and shot a bird out the window I think he's been in prison break he's in the new series of Only Murders in the Building as well um, so he was the guest so um, obviously because of the time difference they record it you know midday or whatever so it was about nine o'clock over here so I was you know sat in my living room had seen ready and I just had to wait for an hour or so for me to be then let into the call now um, I was contacted by the producer on email that said that my that there had been various technical issues and that my segment would have to be shorter because they were running out of time but I would be on so then suddenly you know I'm on, Anna Faris is there, Michael Rappaport is there, and we just start talking. And um, I think, as I mentioned last time, because I didn't have much time, it felt quite rushed that I didn't really explain myself very well. Um, and I was worried that I just didn't come across particularly well or say anything particularly of note. Um, Anna Faris at the time was lovely, asking lots of you know interesting questions, giving some advice, seemed quite empathetic at the time. Um, you know, it was very polite and kind. Michael Rappaport, I'll come to him in a minute. Um, and then at the end of the episode, um, 
the producer cut in and said that, you know, because things had overrun, Michael Rappaport was going to have to go. So they recorded saying goodbye to me so that it could be edited into the show afterwards, even though it wasn't really the end, it was being cut short. But they both recorded themselves, Arna and Michael, saying goodbye. And then Arna said to me um, to hang on because she wanted to continue the conversation and, you know, she'd be back in about 20 minutes or so. Um, so I said, obviously, yeah, that's great, that's fine. I wasn't going to say no. Um, and then it all just got cut off and the producer emailed me and just said that they had to cut it short and it wasn't going to happen. So I was disappointed, but, you know, I'd, I'd been on. It was maybe a 10-minute conversation at most. But um, it just kind of stuck with me the next day and, and it upset me. And I just, for what I'd built up in my head of being this really quite powerful moment, um, it just didn't feel like it had gone particularly well. And I emailed the producer the next day and said, thank you for the opportunity. And it was great to talk to everybody. And Arna was lovely. But I just didn't feel like I got the, the time and I hadn't you know, expressed myself. And anyway, and if I could have another chance or re-record it, obviously, you know, I didn't think that was ever going to happen. But I thought I'd at least ask. Anyway, I didn't get any reply. So I knew the episode would be out in a couple of weeks. And it was released um, about just over a week and a half ago on a Wednesday. And I was nervous to listen to it. I was excited. I hadn't really told any anybody that I knew that I was on it, just in case it was horrendous. And I didn't want anyone to know. Um, but I, you know, I listened to it uh, when I got home. And um, for the most part, you know, I, I don't sound as much of a dick as I thought I might. Um, I didn't sound quite as horrendous as I thought I would and obviously it's edited together in a certain way and I think I got my points across a little bit better than I, than I maybe realised that I did obviously it was very quick at the time um, you know and you kind of forget things in the moment because it's a little bit of a blur however the one thing that really stuck out when I then listened to it back was how when it really happened, the producer cut in and said that it was going to have to be cut short because of time and they both recorded saying goodbye to me. Well, the episode that actually was released, um, it's implied that I hang up and it's implied that I ring off um, and that I cut the episode short, which is a complete lie and a complete fallacy, and it's completely fabricated. Um, in the interview, Arna suddenly says, Tom? Oh, Tom, I think we've lost him. Oh, maybe he hated the, our advice. None of that happened. Um, I was cut off by them, the producer. The interview was stopped by the producer, and none of that happened. It was completely fabricated. Um, and it absolutely devastated me when I heard it um it 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 broke my heart when I heard it because as I'll read you in a minute um in the in a post that I made in an email I sent to the producer I was speaking to someone that I admired I looked up to I was so excited um I mean you know how many times in your life do you get to speak to a Hollywood actress or a Hollywood actor or you know, someone that you've watched on screen and read books by for years, it never happens. And um, to then have your conversation with them about something so personal, so, uh, 
about an eating disorder, about obsessive behaviours, about the depression and anxiety that you've suffered, to then have that manipulated and to have someone you've looked up to, after the fact, record a lie, um, it just devastated me. I was so upset. And in the moment, um, I decided that I wasn't just going to ignore that and that I wanted to take control of that conversation, that situation. So I um, I didn't want anyone that I knew to listen to it and think that I was a prick. Um, so I posted about it across social media and I contacted the producer with a letter of complaint. So I'm going to get into all that now. So buckle up because I'm going to be telling you everything that I wrote. It's quite lengthy, um, as usual. So at first... I put um, together a, um, a post for Instagram and um, Facebook just to explain exactly what happened on the podcast and what the truth was. Um, so this is what I said. This week, I am a guest on the podcast series hosted by Hollywood actress Anna Faris, Good and Qualified. This is a long-running, very popular global podcast and incredible opportunity. I was due to speak about my history of having an eating disorder and obsessive behaviours, something I've worked hard to combat, deal with on a daily basis and also write and talk about openly to hopefully support others. In the podcast recording about two weeks ago, the producer told me via email that my interview would be shorter than intended due to technical and timing issues. This wasn't an issue for me. I was just excited to be on the show. The interview was indeed cut short, quickly wrapped up, and unfortunately, I didn't get to speak with Anna again to add more to the interview. However, it was still great, a great experience, and Anna was very kind and gracious. But the version of the podcast released today is very different for one main reason. The abrupt end of the interview due to the producer cutting in and saying the celebrity guest Michael Rappaport had to leave has been removed and it is now implied that I hung up and left the interview due to the fact that I, as stated by Arna in the podcast which is now available for the world to hear, hated their advice. In fact, the full sentence is, maybe he hated our advice, with Arna then seemingly trying to get Tom, me, back on. This is untrue and did not happen. I was cut out of the interview after no more than 10 minutes. In fact, Arna recorded herself saying goodbye, Tom, at the producer's request, despite our conversation not coming to a proper end. Essentially, I spoke to a world-famous actress and guest about an eating disorder that has affected my life for two decades on a public and global platform only to be gaslit. Gaslit to all listeners, gaslit by someone I've watched on screen, gaslit by someone I've read books written by, gaslit by someone whose podcast I've listened to for years. This does not feel good and it is not right. It has made me question the entire podcast and show history, its purpose and whether it has ever been genuine. But most of all, it has made me question my own memory of the interview and my own self-belief. But of course, that's what gaslighting is and does. But it leaves you feeling ashamed, isolated and small. And in this case, just humiliated. I put myself on a global platform to speak about a tough, personal and triggering issue and illness, only to be cut off, edited poorly and manipulated to look like a petulant guest who hated what he was being told. This has been entirely fabricated. I even have the email with the show producers to prove it. This hurts and it will continue to, but I will do something about it. 
Now, I put that across social media. I then emailed the producer as well. And my email was some of what that statement was there. But I rewrote part of it um, here. So this is the letter of complaint that I sent. Um, I'm emailing about the unqualified recording and podcast episode in which I participated on the 19th of August, released 7th of September. The guest was Michael Rappaport. I cannot express enough my disappointment, upset and hurt at how the episode was edited and my segment put together. I'm sure you can understand my profound shock when in the episode, Anna Farris claims that I have left the conversation recording and possibly exited the talk on purpose due to, quote, hating our advice, meaning herself and Mr Rappaport. As you will remember from the recording on 19th of August, this was simply not the case. The issue interview itself was cut short due to timing and technical issues, as I had evidenced in an email from yourself. And both Anna Farris and the guest said bye, Tom, to be edited together later, as stated by Anna Farris herself. If you remember correctly, Anna Farris even suggested I stay on the link to continue talking to her afterwards. Again, I have email evidence to show that I waited, only to be told by you that the conversation had finished. I did not leave the interview. I did not hang up. That conversation, that aspect of the conversation has been entirely fabricated. I then put in some of the, the, the post and then I continued to say, but what do I want to happen now? My episode to be deleted? No, as I still think the discussion around an eating disorder to be powerful and useful to listeners. Do I wish the conversation had never taken place? Considering how pointless and hollow I now feel after this experience, perhaps. But but do I want a simple apology and acknowledgement of how terribly I've been treated? Yes, I would like an apology from you, but also from Anna Farris, that she agreed to record a lie and gaslight a fan, someone who's respected and followed her career, encouraged peers to listen and join her podcast. It's just heartbreaking to me. I look forward to her reply. Now, I got lots of comments and feedback from friends and colleagues who are obviously completely on my side. Now, the interesting thing is that I sent my email to the podcast producer at half past six. Now, this is a producer who's working on a global podcast, maybe works on more than one. Twelve minutes later, they email me back. Now, it might just be me reading into that, but I think they expected me to contact them. Um, how could they not when they blatantly know that it was re-recorded and lied. So the response was, Hi Tom, sorry to hear that. I didn't handle the editing, but we'll look into it. Bollocks, you're the producer. Of course, you would have done some of the editing. A few minutes later, hi again. We'll remove the line about hating the advice. I think that was intended as a joke. Sorry about that. No full stop at the end. Um... Now, the episode has been re-edited. That has been cut out. However, I then emailed them back and said, um, thank you for removing the fabricated hated the advice section. However, as previously stated, I didn't leave the interview at all. By Tom was recorded by both Anna and Michael and therefore still needs to be edited in. The end of the interview, as it stands, is still a fabrication of real events, as you know. As a guest and supporter of your work and Anna, I deserve better. As do all that listen, believing that what they hear is real and not a re-recorded lie. Now, nothing else is being done. It still appears that I have rung off or have been cut off or whatever, um, and it's it's still a lie. Um, it's still had a re-recorded added section to it um, that they've tried to get me back on or whatever, um, and it's just it's wrong. It's just wrong. Um, 
I can't tell you how when I listened to it back and I had talking about something so personal that I've written about and spoken about on here before, but on something that people in different countries all over the world are going to hear because it is a global podcast. It's extremely popular. She's had guests from all over the world ring in and speak to her that people would hear that and think that um, I'd rung off in a petulant mood or to hear an interview and not realise that it has been faked. I can't stomach that. I can't stomach that. And I can't um, reconcile the fact that someone who is the face of this and the face of something that is supportive of mental health and emotional health knowingly, because she knows what she's done, knowingly recorded a lie, lied about a fan, me, and put that out for the world to hear. And what just thought that I would be okay with that. Um, it was heartbreaking. And you know, I listened to it when I got home from work and it was just me listening to it in my little house on my own, feeling just broken by it. I can't tell you how much it hurt um, that I'd been manipulated like that. And listening back to the interview, I've listened to it a few times. It's fascinating how it is done. It is so edited. Um, Simple things like when Arna or the guest make noises like, oh, mm, completely edited in. Um, Entire sections have been removed. At one point, Arna spoke to me about how lots of people assume that because she's like a, you know, a blonde Hollywood actress, she doesn't eat. But she says, you know, she loves bagels. She puts cream cheese on it. Um, I think that was her way of trying to say, you know, that she couldn't really understand my problems with food. That's been removed. Um, Michael Rappaport was a prick. Um, he yawned at one point when I was talking. Um, he's been edited well too because um, Arna asked him if he'd ever experienced anything like I had in terms of problems with food. And he said that um, sometimes, you know, he'll eat really badly for a day and won't exercise. And then he said, and I, I remember this perfectly, but not like this guy, really flippant, that's been completely edited. And rather than have this guy, they've put Tom in instead. So it now he listens as, but not like Tom, so he doesn't sound as much of a twat on the interview. Um, and the reason that my interview was short is because I think that the caller before me had overrun. Well, they've restructured the interview. So I'm on first, so it looks like the second call is longer because I rang off in a mood. It's just, it's, it's just a lie. The entire process was a lie. And, um, I recorded and, and I put the post out on Facebook. I put it on Instagram. Um, and since then, um, I have now been, um, blocked by unqualified on Instagram. Um, Anna Farris has blocked me on Instagram as well. Um, because they know it's true and they know that what's out there is a lie. 
Um, and it really frustrates me that this is as far as it's going to go because people will continue to listen to it and think it's genuine. I would love to know if this has happened to other listeners as well as me. It probably has. Um, and it just, it still, it angers me, it frustrates me, it annoys me and it upsets me um, that it's, that it's okay. Podcasts should be honest, they should be open. People can make mistakes, sure, but you can't record lies and you can't re-record lies and make people who you overpower in privilege, in money, in access to resources. You can't make those people your toys. And she is someone and her team around her outweigh me in money, in privilege, in wealth, in access to resources, in access to media, in access to spreading a message and a lie about how I interacted with them has been put out globally and I, I can't get my head around why. I can't get my head around why. If they didn't want to very quickly edit the episode with just by Tom randomly, they could have easily said something like, unfortunately, we couldn't end the conversation with Tom because of technical issues. So it had to be cut short. Fine, just do that because that was the truth. That would have taken no longer to re-record afterwards than the lie did. Um, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's just unbelievable. And I'm talking about it now because you deserve to know that it's a complete fabricated lie the entire thing um and I and I can't listen to that podcast ever again and um, I can't watch anything with her in it ever again um the book that she wrote which I loved I've had to get rid of um I was watching only murders in the building the other week which I really like he appeared in it and my stomach just went oh like I got an instant reaction when his face came on the screen because of how horrid he was when I was speaking to him and the fact he's been, he's part of this lie. Um, and it just hurts that that's what's out there. And that unless you listen to this and you hear my side, you'll never know. And you'll think that she's lovely. It's all well-meaning. It's all supportive of people who struggle. And I rang off because I was a prick that was pissed off. And it's a total lie. Um, and if I can just ask one thing, it's that you just... Um, don't ever listen to that podcast because it is all bollocks. I'd like to think that I am the fluke and that for whatever reason, it was a very bad decision and they maybe had to quickly get the episode out there and they re-recorded something and cobbled it together in, in bad faith and a bad choice. Um, and who knows, maybe that's the situation and it is genuine and I just got a bad you know, kind of raw end of the deal. I don't think it is, but there we go. Um, and it's, I think it, it came at a bad time as well. Um, you know, as I've mentioned on here, 
I was, and I have, and I still am dealing with just some health issues. Um, and it just, and I'd, be, I'd just gone back to work and it, I just felt so sad and so low and just so small and weak and pathetic afterwards and embarrassed, just so embarrassed by the whole thing. And that's what shame does. It makes it feel that you have done something wrong. And I just felt so ashamed that I'd been part of something that made me look like such a weak little person when I hadn't done anything wrong. Um, but there we go. Listen to it if you want to. And just know that at the very end of the episode, when it appears that the call has been cut out or cut off, it's utter bollocks. So, um, as I mentioned before, um, I'm kind of going through some ongoing physio work and tests and things at the minute. And because I'm in quite a lot of pain, different parts of my body, particularly my legs, I have having to use um, a crutch at the minute, particularly now I'm back at work. And um, I, obviously, you know, I'm, you know, I read and, and watch and listen to a lot of conversations and podcasts around um, all sorts of, of issues to do with any type of um kind of poor treatment of certain groups of people and trying to move forward in progress issues whether that is race sexism lgbt whatever um and i i'm in no way at all saying that anything that i'm up against at the moment is anything to do with someone who has a permanent ongoing physical illness um but walking around on crutches and a crutch for the last couple of weeks and I have had to use it many times before but particularly it's quite hardcore at the moment it's every single day I'm having to use a crutch um it has really made me see just what pricks people can be um and what people think that they can get away with saying to someone who is physically struggling so just a couple of little um golden nuggets that I've um, come into contact with the last couple of weeks. So hobbling around on my crutch in pain, trying to just crack on with my day, my job, whatever, um, shopping. Um, I had one person come up to me, touch me, put their hand on my leg and say, oh, is this medical? I'm sorry. And who the fuck are you? And you have what right to physically touch me and ask me that? Um, well, it might be, it might be um, uh, an injury, it might be from an accident, it could be for any number of reasons, but I don't know you, so get your hand off me and fuck you. Um, I had another person come up to me and just say incredibly loudly in front of the other people, oh, can they not do anything about your legs? Um, well, hopefully, at some point, yeah, I mean, I'm doing quite a lot of painful physio at the minute and a lot of very painful stretches and trying to use exercises as much as I can and hopefully but obviously you seem to think you have the right to ask me that in public um 
And then there's just the general people who won't move out of the way and just stand in front of me when I'm trying to walk down an aisle of a supermarket or just stop in front of me so I can't continue walking. Just people just being pricks, basically. Um, But it's really made me see how if you have anything that is slightly different about you, um, and this was obviously something I've always been aware of and conscious of and making sure I don't do the same, um, but it's very different when you're actually kind of in that space yourself. And like I'm saying, I'm not in any way. I mean, I'm just having to hobble about on a clutch for a little bit. Um, but, you know, people look at you differently, um, speak to you a little bit differently as well. Um, and well-meaningly, but like I went into a um, coffee shop the other day and really loudly, you know, the staff were like, oh, sit down, we'll bring it to you. Anyone who comes in on crutches, we do everything for them. Shut the fuck up. Like, stop making it obvious that I'm like ill. Um, and it's, it's just odd, like people's reactions to it. Um, and then um, I came across an advert um the other day it popped up on my Instagram an advert from 2000 by Reebok and the the title of the advert was um Belly's gonna get you and I don't know if you remember it but I rewatched the advert on YouTube and it's basically a man in new Reebok trainers and he's running and he's being chased by a big fat inflatable inflatable belly and he's running away from it and so you know the idea is that run with Reebok trainers and you'll never get a fat belly um but like just what a way to fat shame somebody and to body shame them having a belly is so disgusting you've got to run away, away with it run away from it only Reebok can do that I mean that's the 2000s that I grew up with I was 14 15 no wonder I got a fucking eating disorder um and it ugh, just it's just disgusting um, and I'd like I shared that with a couple of people and people couldn't believe that that was an advert, like an actual advert, YouTube it, watch it, Re- um, Reebok, Belly's going to get you. It's so bad. It's so bad. Um, and then, um, I have just finished reading Wolf Hall, um, really good, but I needed to then now go on and read something that I didn't really have to use my brain for afterwards. So I'm reading a book called Ali Carter, which is um, like a series of like high school spy novels. It's about a girl's school and they're trained to be spies and whatever. Fair enough. It's I think it's been quite popular for getting, you know, like a, a young female readership in. I like young adult novels. I always have done. Um, but this one, I mean, I'm going to carry on reading it to see if it changes, but... Um, I, it's just annoyed me um, for a book that is on the face of it looks like quite um, kind of forward thinking and puts, you know, female protagonists at the heart of it and they're brave and they fight and they've got brains. Um, I'm about 50 pages in and it talks pretty much nonstop about eating and appearance. Um, so on page 20. Um, a new member of staff has started the school who's like an older male teacher who all, all the girls fancy fine. And the girls have this very difficult quandary. Um, we decided we could either print for an hour and skip breakfast. 
um, or throw on our uniforms and eat like queens. Um, and then it says, uh, but today Professor Smith had a lot of eyeliner and lip gloss girls with growling stomachs. So you're telling me that the way to, uh, the, the, the only thing that girls can possibly decide is food or makeup. So starve or look good. That's what you're putting into a book that teenage girls are going to read. Great. And then a couple of pages later, page 40, one of the characters says, um, I eat 800 calories a day. Food is so yesterday. Great. I'd love to think that my teenage niece was reading that bollocks. Um, just like, ugh, where, like, what are we doing? Um, on the back, there's a review that says, if ever there was a series to make Harry, Ron and Hermione look like wimps, then this is it. Disagree. I don't think the Harry Potter books ever body shamed or gave someone an eating disorder like these books could. Um, just thank God that we have other books available for kids to read, like Heartstopper, which I've spoken about before, which is just beautiful and deals with an eating disorder, a genuine character who has one, but in such a good way and in such a thoughtful way and in such a progressive way, not in this flippant way. Oh, girls, the only um, dilemma they have is makeup or whether to starve themselves. Should I eat or should I spend more time on makeup? I mean, aren't we more progressive and forward thinking than that? Um... I'd like to think so. But moving on from that a little bit, um, I just want to talk about, um, I read an article this week on the BBC, which was looking at um, Gen Z, Generation Z, 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 and how they're being represented in the media and whether they're being represented well, too much, in a way that makes them look bad. Um, and it kind of primarily focused around some films that have been released lately. So um, Do Revenge, which has just come out on Netflix, which I didn't know until the other day that um, Sarah Michelle Gellar hashtag Buffy is in, um, which I will watch at some point. Be very excited that Sarah Michelle Gellar's back on the scene. Um, and uh, a film called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So it's a horror film. And um, if you don't want to know any spoilers about the film, then you should probably cut off now because I'm just going to talk all about it. Um, so it's a kind of horror slasher whodunit film. So a group of friends go to you know this really expensive house that one of them has and they stay for the evening and they play like a kind of wink murder game called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that goes wrong and one of them actually ends up dead. Um, and then kind of it, chaos ensues and they all suspect each other of doing the killings and um and various ones of them get bumped off and accidents happen and you know whatever but it's a really good satire in a way because it really takes the piss out of that generation um in that they're all very self-obsessed they live on their phones um you know they use their phones for torches for finding each other for googling various things and it's full of language that People are being encouraged to understand and use now, but I do think it runs the risk of being overused and sometimes used in a way that isn't beneficial and used out of context just because it sounds good. So, and it's done in a very funny, like tongue in cheek way. So, you know, when a character is just found dead, you know, another character will come up and, be, you know, they'll, they'll turn it completely on themselves and be like, you're gaslighting me. Or um, this conversation is so toxic. Or um, this is triggering for me. So they use all of those 
buzzwords just to show, I think, how Generation Z, this current generation, um, you know, kind of are mocked for being a little bit snowflakey and it plays into that quite cleverly um, and is funny. Um, and a couple of things that are interesting about it. So throughout the film, they all think that it's this person called Max who is allowed to, uh, you, d you don't see him, he kind of left the night before in a mood and they all think he's come back and he's picking them off one by one. So that's quite an interesting idea and it's kind of this um, invisible but omnipresent white man is picking these women off one by one which is quite interesting um the lead i mean it's kind of an ensemble cast but the lead is um, an actress of color um, is gay in the film as well um and that's different you know in terms of kind of the lead of of, of a mainstream horror film um and the kind of the funny thing about it is it's revealed at the end and again i'm going to spoil things so if you don't want to know then don't listen um they find the phone of the first guy who died and he has his throat slit um and they just kind of see him staggering towards them and then you know shit hits the fan from there but they find his phone and they watch a tiktok that he created and he's doing like stunts with a knife and trying to take like a cork off of um, champagne bottle and he accidentally slits his own throat while making a dickish tiktok video so no one was actually murdered at all it was an accident and because they all lose their shit and think a murderer is on the loose they then all go crazy and kill each other um, and it kind of plays into the very selfish self-interest self-obsessed nature that teens have um, and particularly through using social media all the time and it kind of is a bit of a middle finger up at that generation. Um, and it knows what it's doing. It's very funny. But the article on BBC looks at that and kind of considers whether how Generation Z are being portrayed is in a flattering way, in a critical way, in a way that is what they really like or not. Um, so I could just a couple of little things from the article. So um, this is on BBC. So you can go and read it yourself if you want to. Um, so it says, let's just have a look. Um, everyone has their thoughts on Generation Z, known colloquial as Zoomers or Gen Z for short. The cohort born in the mid to late 1990s and early 2010s. Generation that was raised online and uses social media as a diary and scrapbook. Um, Hollywood now seems on a mission to grapple with the Gen Z zeitgeist and to capture our ever-evolving online literacy and virtual culture. Um, it then goes on to say, looking at bodies, bodies, bodies in particular, that it attempts a precarious balance between empathy and mockery, more leaning towards the latter in a widely generalised observations of plugged-in generation where buzzwords like gaslighting, triggering, unhinged are reeled off for laughs. Um, and, and that's kind of the point of it, is that um, it's kind of mocking the language that, in an odd way, we're encouraged to use to be more empathetic about each other, but then I think it can be overused to the point where it's an excuse. That's what it's trying to say, which is, and it's good. It also mentions another film that's on Disney Plus, which I have to say is very good. It's called Not Okay. And if you've not watched it, again, I would suggest it. It's a girl who's in kind of a dead-end social media job. You know, she does it, but doesn't really love it. And um, she fakes going on a writing retreat to Paris, um, but just stays in her apartment. But 
when she's meant to be there in Paris, there's a terror attack and she therefore sees the opportunity to fake that she was there and survived it. Um, and she becomes like a social media hero that she was there, she survived it. You know, she's lived through a terror attack and it looks at, I think, the ease at which social media can be used to manipulate truth. And it is very good. And I do, I would recommend watching that one. Um, but um, the, the article continues to say that um, these films like uh, Do Revenge, like Bodies, 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 um, unlike the kind of 90s films like Clueless or Mean Girls, for example, it says, quote, a common, these in, in, a common theme in these films is the decentralisation of Hollywood's white male hero. Women of colour are now in substantial leading roles, taking on larger roles in stories. And I think that that's really what these new branded films are doing. They are putting different people at the heart of films that have never been there before. Um, even something like if you've seen the new ad for, for The Little Mermaid that's come out, it's um, a black aerial. Um, and, you know, when I think back to, you know, people coming up to me this week and being like, oh, is this medical about my legs? Maybe if there were more films out there with um, people with physical disabilities with television shows more high profile with people with physical disabilities, then ableism, hopefully, would not be as much of an issue if we had more films with women of colour. And there are, but it's still slowly trickling through. And I think that one really positive thing about the Gen Z um, ease at which they use social media is that so many more people now have a voice. Um, and I think that is a real push and a real force behind um, the change in television and film, that there are now much more female and minority-led projects. Um, Orange is the New Black was a huge, huge um, like landmark moment for that. And even things now, like on Netflix, there is a show called Partner Track, which is a bit fluffy, but it has um, a, a minority lead. Um, it has um, a racial, racially diverse cast. It looks at um, white privilege in a law firm. It looks at how um, Asian women and black men and LGBT characters are overlooked for white male uh, counterparts. Um, and that's the type of television show that would never have been around when I was at school or when I was a teenager. So I do think in a way, because of the media presence of Gen Z, we do have in a way them to thank for the fact that these new shows are coming to the forefront because they're pushing it, they're demanding it. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll get to the point where people just don't say dickish things to each other anymore. But, you know, there we go. Um, so I would suggest, you know, go and watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. You know, see if you can kind of get the tongue-in-cheek satire that it's meant to be, I think. Um, and I'd be interested to see what you think about that whole Gen Z argument. Like, are they just kind of on their phones all the time or is the fact that they're promoting content constantly actually helpful and actually meaningful possibly um 
I always finish by saying one thing I've done this week. Um, so I suppose one thing I've done this week is get a global podcast to re-edit themselves. Um, you know, the producer did apologise. They did re-edit it. Not perfectly, but it's not what it was. It's not quite as bollocks inducing as it was. Um, that's a small victory, I suppose. Um, anyway, listen to the Anna Farris podcast. Let me know what you think. Um, check out a couple of these Gen Z, for want of a better phrase, cringe phrase shows on, on Netflix or whatever. And let me know what you think. And as always, if you have any questions or feedback, and um, particularly about, you know, it might sound selfish, but the, the Anna Farris podcast situation is uh, that one time podcast at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Um, I'm a podcast that does not lie and does not re-record or re-edit truths and I appreciate your time listening and um, I'll speak to you very soon. Hello, um, sorry for just adding on one final little section to this episode. There was one thing that I forgot to mention that is um, comical as well as embarrassing about the Anna Farris podcast. Um, if you go onto the um, either the unqualified website or onto Spotify, wherever you can listen to it, and you read the um, episode synopsis for the Michael Rappaport episode that I am on, um, it says something like, "Our first caller is Tom, whose obsession with foods and exercise." Da 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 da. Um, the spelling of whose is very interesting. It's W-H-O apostrophe S. So who is? So today's guest is Tom, who is obsession with food, da, 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 da. not the correct spelling of W-H-O-S-E. So not only are they not qualified to actually record a podcast properly and to not lie about the guest that's on it, they're not even qualified to use the correct homophone. Um, that's the end of the episode. Um, up yours, unqualified, because at least I can spell. <laughs>